0: This is Agents Influence Podcast.
1: We embrace a very autonomous model, but leverage the common good. But look, if you're solid in your local town and you've got your relationships, man, that's what's important to me as another partner, right? Because you would be my partner. So why would we strip somebody of all that goodness? So the name that's on the outside, the system that made you successful, that's important. And if we immediately change that, you run the risk of disrupting you for the next 18 months.
0: I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently. Change your agency. Change your finances. Change your family. And in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Agents Influence Conversations with Jason Cass. And today I have a good one for you, folks. I always have a good one. I really do. Maybe that's the ego speaking, or maybe it's the download numbers that are just climbing through the roof. But that's because of you, loyal listeners. Today I have with us Mr. Keith Savino. Now, there's a lot of you out there, once again, that are probably like, hey, I know this cat. And then there's probably the most of you that do not. And the reason is, is I didn't really know Keith, and him and I serve uh together on the Ivan's agency board Council, whatever the heck that thing is um, have since two thousand or twenty fourteen and Keith has always been somebody who is uh very dynamic in his thoughts um him and I both said before we got on uh no one has ever accused us of being shy, and he added long winded um and that is the truth, so I think we're gonna get short winded short winded man i'm I'm backwards today. Uh loyal listeners. Before we started, I called him Kevin, and I've known him for seven years, even though his name is really Keek. So, anyways, uh, please forgive me on that. I should have a clear mind. I'm doing my 75 hard. Uh, for all you loyal listeners, so you know, today is October 12th. It's 9:08 a.m. Uh, in the morning, and uh, I think I'm on day. Uh, I know you guys are following me. Uh, I think I'm on day 23. Um, I just got to give a little shout out out there to Ryan Smith out of Oklahoma. He said that he was following um, me on this podcast, heard I was doing 75 hard, and he actually started it on September 20th. I'd also like to give a shout out to Julie Smith out in Oregon. She's the same way. Thank you, loyal listeners. And if you are a loyal listener and you're doing the 75 hard, please let me know at Jason at agency-intelligence.com. Jason at agency-intelligence.com. Mr. Keith Savino, how are you, sir? I am doing pretty good there, Mr. Cass. How are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Where are you at right now? Like town-wise? Currently,
1: I'm located in the state of New Jersey, physically. All right. Where am I at? Mentally, I'm in a good place. (laughs) Physically, I'm in New Jersey.
0: Uh, That just shows you guys. New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, that northeast. Ever since the colonial days, they were always jealous when the states got bigger than their states because that means they got more representation in Washington, D.C., and they carry that forward to this day.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll go with that. I would say anybody who's driven from the top to the bottom of New Jersey knows it's a long trip.
0: It East and west,
1: it? not so much.
0: Yeah, how long of know? a trip is
1: that? I, live, I uh, Three hours or so, three? top okay. to bottom, but not as bad as New York. You know? Hey, look, I can have breakfast, lunch, and dinner in three states in one day. There's a lot of folks who just can't wrap their head around that. You've probably
0: done that many times, I assume. Many times. Many times. Hey, Keith, let's get going because we have a lot to talk about. Are you an iPhone or are you a Droid user?
1: iPhone.
0: iPhone? What's the last app you downloaded?
1: Oh, probably having something to do with uh, networking and security at this point security. in time. Yeah,
0: Yeah, security. You know, might have even have been a patch. Big deal. Do you love to win or do you hate to lose?
1: Oh, boy. That's a, that's a good one. I would say that I love to succeed.
0: Okay. I love to succeed. So, would that be winning? Well, Not I guess always, it could be losing. Sometimes,
1: sometimes success involves others. Ah. Winning denotes it doesn't involve others. The better question is, are you a team sport person or an individual sport person? Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, success involves knowing all the people, places, and things that help get you there. So, you know, at least in the 30 some odd years, 33 years I've been in this business, um, I really do believe that most folks who succeed have succeeded um, in concert with others who have been able to uh, help them succeed along the way. So, and I would certainly be one of those. I mean, I'm sure you have a few godfathers in the insurance business. I do as well. You know, there are folks who, you know, made sure that when they got to know you, they said, oh, there's something special about this person. And they invested their time in you. And I know exactly who those people are in my minds. And I'm sure you do as well. If somebody doesn't, then they probably should get out there and get to know more people.
0: You're darn right about that. And even like you said, networking is one thing that you probably thought of on your app. It's a, it is something that's very, something that you do very well. Last question. Um, Two things in the world we believe get you to where you are, skill or luck. What would you say has been a biggest factor in your life to get you to where you are?
1: Well, there's certainly uh, a bit of both of that, but folks would believe that if you work hard and you have some skill, it's amazing how lucky you become.
0: It's true, very, very true. Uh, I think as Henry Ford, someone got put, you know how these quotes get put everywhere. Uh, he said, "This seems as if the luckier I get, or the harder I work, the luckier I get." Luckier I, get. I think yeah. that I think that's true as can be. True as can be. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, he also was successful because he hired very smart people around him early on. And, uh, you know, most people credit Ford with uh, creating the assembly line. But if you do your research on it, it was actually another gentleman who came out of the meatpacking industry and then started an oil pan business that he purchased who convinced Ford that he needed to split up the manufacturing process from having a group of people work on one car to having individuals work on a particular step. And I think you told me that tomorrow. a long
0: time ago because I've heard that somewhere. And I think actually when we were speaking in Tennessee, I think, wow, look at my memory go. Uh, we were in Tennessee together, wow. and you were you used Impressive. some of that on there. That, that was uh, – wow, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, so, Keith, take us back to high school. Take us back to college, however you want to start, and bring us forward to how Keith Savino got to where he is right now.
1: We, we don't have that time. Um, okay. Hey, I'll tell you what, man. Early on – so I, I came from outside the insurance industry. I was not a multi-generational uh, agency owner. Um, nothing bad about that. It would have mm-hmm. been awesome if it worked that way for me. But um, my brother was in the business and uh, had started, and uh, he convinced me to get into the business. But I came actually out of technology. I was with MCI Telecom. So I came okay. from the telephony industry. And then I was a headhunter for high tech electronics companies oh, um, wow. Department of Defense, medical electronics, et cetera. So I was sort of, I had this tech bend, and then all of a sudden I'm in insurance. And you can imagine the shock. How'd you get in there? And, how did I get in? Where
0: into insurance? In, like, how'd you go from in, there to it insurance? Which was my
1: brother. Oh, so okay. he had convinced ah. me some years earlier that I should go in. I chose not to for some reasons, and then got involved in it. Anyway, when we first got involved, you know, we worked in our own world. We didn't talk to anybody else. We probably thought we were the smartest two guys in the room, and, and that's the way that it worked. And yeah. then uh, we bought a man. At, we bought a system at the time. I'll date it. It was Redshaw, and uh, we. Yeah. You know, went to one of our first conferences, and back then they were movers and shakers and rocking, and I sat in a room and heard about something called T filing from a couple of guys. Transaction and, uh,
0: filing. Most of our loyal listeners don't know what that is, Keith you That's not what it is be
1: 1988 and uh, turns out you know we came back and put it into place and we just did it for everything. personal lines and we we, back then we wrote a lot of uh, street sewer and water uh, contractors in New York City, crane operators, oh, wow. um, sanitation, and high net worth personal lines. <laughs> So what we, what we found was nobody else was doing it. We, you know, we were in our box. We got some phone calls from the vendor. And I will tell you that very first article that came out probably changed everything. So no, I had to go from it was all about us to it's actually not all about us. It's about everybody. So to the extent that you can help somebody else in this business today, you will actually be rewarded tenfold for every effort
0: that you put out. So well said. uh, So well said. So
1: I got involved with the dot com boom. The fast forward. So I was. We we actually sold our first agency in 1992. Um, We uh, I you know was involved with a lower New York City firm for quite some time. We we always referred to ourselves as brokers, Jason. So to this day, folks who come from the the New York City area who refer to themselves as brokers, that's not being an intermediary (laughs) or a wholesaler. That's just the nature of how you refer to yourself and. It took me a while to realize what an agent really was till the mid-90s. But by then, the dot-com boom was happening. Nobody could spell computer, let alone say it without their eyes glazing over. And I got involved in writing a lot of dot-com companies. And it you know was one of the few people could have that conversation. And along those lines, now you're getting very involved in what, at the time, agents were being disintermediated. Okay, That was the D word in the 90s. You know, in the 2000s, mean? it was disruption. But in the, in the 90s, it was disintermediation. And we were all supposed to go out of business. We were all going to be replaced by an alternative distribution channel. There was a lot of money that was spent. And by 2001, one, two, or whatever, it was actually March of 2000, everything crashed and burned. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the investments went bye-bye. And I decided to restart another agency again. So that was like my fourth agency. Wow. Wow. Um, And then we've grown from there. And today, I'm a managing partner in a firm called PCF Insurance Services. We were one of the very first as part of the foundation. And I think in 2020, we just ended as the 20th largest PNC broker in the country.
0: Wow. Um, I did not know that either, Keith. Keith, now, here's the deal.
1: You got to grow quietly or not. You know, I mean, you do it as you need to, right? You don't have to make a lot of noise about it. Just be successful.
0: Yeah, you're right about that. And that is you. Uh, and it's so funny that if people knew you like I do, they would be how how ironic that you are quiet. But like you said, that's kind of your nature. You had to learn how to be the way you are. Like at the Ivans meetings, you're very outspoken about technology. Um, there's a lot of times when you speak, people listen because you come at it from a different angle. And I think what's important is is you're a managing partner that knows the details of tech. A lot of those people that sit in that Ivan's group with us, that's all they do is like manage the tech or the people and the users and stuff. So they're kind of in that. But whenever you speak, I think they like it because it's like, wow, that's kind of the stuff they're probably looking for for their seniors uh, leadership as well.
1: So let, let's I'm talk. probably a little, one of the few people in the room who sell insurance. That's so, what I'm saying. You know, I agree. When you're at the point of sale and you also have to understand the compliance and financial reporting, then you know the entire path of the data. So, you know, now I'm going to sound like a tech nerd, but, you know, if you realize that the data really starts typically with a pen and a piece of paper at the point of sale, somebody scribbling down notes, it could be on a cocktail napkin, um, or it could be on a pad, and then it makes its way into somebody's office. And then we start to digitize the data. Everybody thinks that there's just this one small part that's automated. The reality is the, the path of that information is really really long, and you know, one of the things that was cool, Jason, is the years that I got to spend involved in in setting standards with Accord. You know, I was on that board for many years, but but mostly being involved with the committees and the groups. Some of the most brilliant people that you will meet, not just in the U.S. but worldwide. So you know, folks, I got to meet from Australia and 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 parts of uh, France and and in uh, and the U.K. and and other countries, China, Canada. And everybody had the same exact challenges. We were not special. Everyone thinks they're special. No, we all have the same problems. And wow. being able to work as, as groups together with hundreds of volunteers in that world and solve those, uh, those challenges for the industry was, was actually quite exhilarating.
0: Now, Keith, something that you talked about a lot in 2014, 15, 16, 17, uh, to all your loyal listeners, him and I haven't seen each other in two years because of COVID. We usually meet once a year, usually around in May um, to discuss Ivan stuff. Um, you talked a lot about this was specifically for download and lines of business, like how the ancillary directors and officers and other things are not necessarily supported as lines of business for download and stuff in the agent inside there. But here's one thing I want to bring it back to is cyber liability. Something I have heard you talk about, oh my God, for five to six years and six years ago, those were my eyes that were glazing over and now ta-da, here we are. And it is a frickin' train wreck right now, Keith, out there. What are your thoughts on this cyber liability and everything going on? Man, it's so wild out there.
1: I, I think I wrote my first cyber policy. It was almost 20 years ago, and it, I believe we rated it on a number of email addresses. Um, no some of those of email them. addresses included, like, Prodigy and AOL. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, Wow. Um, well, remember, I was coming at a dot-com boom. I was right and migrating to there. And we did not handle that very well back in the late 90s, just either tech, you know, or cyber. Professional liability in general for tech companies, you know, is a 25-year-old, you know, product. But it sound, but that's relatively new in a 300-year-old industry, right? Or 100 and some odd years of common practice in the States for fire policy. So when we have um, cyber insurance that we were five years ago begging people to buy, Right. Trying to convince people in the small market air space that they need to be there. Um, the small market defines, you know, under 15 to 25 million in revenue and below for most of the commercial right. accounts. Um, and now we've evolved to a place where many of the executive lines in the post-COVID world, not just cyber, but DNO and EPLI, et cetera, are very challenging. We've had carriers that have clearly left the marketplace. Um, we have companies that no longer write primary limits. Um, we have, and you, you saw this. You see this with, you know, um, with market trends and other executive lines like DNL. You move from carriers that'll be happy to write that five million dollar primary to I'll only go to two, and now you got to find three excess of two. So mm-hmm. it's forcing folks who maybe weren't even comfortable with some of those lines of business to become extra comfortable. There's more challenges in placing it than there were ever before. Now, what I'll say is this. If you don't know what you're doing, find somebody who does. And there are intermediaries that will help folks do that, right, who don't have that experience. But Uh if you do have practices, like we're large enough to have practice leaders and we've got some really, really great resources internally. Um, But not every agency is. I know because I've been there, right? I've been all sizes. And so the best way to really figure it out is find somebody who really knows and and hits your wagon to it. Didn't I mention sometimes you got to rely on others to become successful Uh as well? That's a good example. So, you know, the challenge, I think, for a lot of insurance agents right now is that most of those, particularly newer ones, I'll speak to some of the ones that, you know, we'll meet in other groups, right? Uh, They may only be in this business for X number of years, and maybe they came from a captive world and they migrated to this, right? Now they're newly independent. Most came from what I would refer to as the traditional property and casualty world, which was personal lines and traditional property and casualty commercial lines. Traditional property and casualty commercial lines is that, you know, commercial package, workers' comp, maybe the umbrella, commercial auto, but it generally did not include all of the executive lines. Folks like to think all commercial lines is in one bucket. It's not, not in the carrier, not in the agency. So finding somebody who really understands the nuances behind those executive lines policies will help you get through the fog.
0: I ran into a guy by the name of Rob McCarthy. He's with RPS, and he, I've known him for a while, and he's in executive lines. And he was in a New York agency, moved to Austin, joined them. Um, and, 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 and the reason I love this guy is not only is a good friend of mine back from young agent days, but he also understands executive um, insurance. One of the things he taught me, I have cyber liability policies, and I'll just put myself out there, loyal listeners. I just found out that, and I don't even use the right terminology Keith, keep, some of these cyber liabilities are reimbursable, that they reimburse you, or some of them, it'll be—I guess I would call it um, first dollar. I'm, I'm using the wrong term, but it basically says we're going. If you have, um, if your stuff gets locked up for three million, we're going to pay it to get it out. As opposed to some of these policies that are being sold out there, are no, you pay the three million and then we reimburse you. And that was something that I wasn't familiar with. Is that do you see that a lot out there, Keith?
1: So. I don't want to get into the individual competition between policy forms because I'm bound to upset one of my markets. That okay, okay,
0: fair enough, um, fair enough, but, Keith.
1: But what I will say is um, for 20 years I've heard I'll start selling cyber when all the forms are the same. And the problem with that is you're not doing a great justice by your clients. And, and Jason, I've heard that from people. Everybody, like, well, you know, the forms are so different. I don't know. It's a big E and O exposure, et cetera. The biggest challenge that folks need to think about is the retroactive date. You know, if you don't write it, there is no retro date. So if you wrote that client in 2015, 1-1-2015, as the policy forms improved over time, that new policy that you're writing in 2021 or 22, guess what it has? A 1-1-2015 retro date. And all the new claims are going underneath that policy form. So the cool part about dealing with executive lines is if you don't like the form that you have this year or perhaps they evolve and they definitely leapfrog each other. Bricking is a good example of Um, when you have that, you could always be looking to move somebody to a better form. And by the way, you will learn more about those forms over time as well. And you will not learn more about those forms if you don't get involved in the coverage and don't write it. And to that point about bricking, Equipment was never covered under these things decades ago. Now you have the ability of adding that coverage. That's an example of a great throw in for a lot of folks on a renewal where you're rounding out their coverage. There's a tip for folks. I like that. And
0: I like that. Keith, take us to, uh, you're on, am I correct, AMS 360?
1: Yeah, I've actually run most management systems over the past 30 years. So yeah, yeah, there's probably yeah. very few vendors I haven't actually run software. And in our, mm-hmm. in our ecosystem right now, we run just about everything. So we have agencies on 360. Personally, I run 360, but we've got Epic agencies, TAM agencies, Hawksoft agencies. Gotcha. Oh, the list goes on. Custom-built systems depends so upon... So when you buy
0: somebody, you don't, you don't bring them in and get rid of their system and use your system or you just keep it simple?
1: Our model's a little bit different, right? So, um, you know, is there an acquisition? Yeah, but, but we look for partners. Uh, we don't look for folks who are necessarily just looking to hang up their cleats unless they want to be... a tuck into another agency, but God, that's yeah. not our focus. So we're, we embrace a very autonomous model, um, but leverage the common good. So we'll leverage, you know, HR, accounting, things like that. But look, if you're solid in your local town and you've got your relationships, man, that's what's important to me right. as another partner, right? Because you would be my partner. So why would we strip somebody of all that goodness, right? So the name that's on the outside, the system that made you successful, you know, That's important. And if we immediately change that, you run the risk of disrupting you for the next 18 months. Well, if you're already successful and profitable, and which is what would have made you of interest to having the conversation with us, um, and you want to grow your asset because these are basically asset growth strategies, then we wouldn't want to disrupt you. You wouldn't want to be disrupted. And we need to let successful people be successful. You don't take a race car driver who's already winning every championship, move him to another team and then tell him he doesn't race properly. We need to change the way you approach you. at the track, right?
0: Fair enough. Yes, it is. That's right, Keith. That's basically
1: it. You know, We're not taking somebody who hits 40 or 50 home runs a year, putting them on another team and going, we got to fix your swing. <laughs> right? So if you're successful already, then you're a great partner. And we've grown you know over the past three years now we have over a hundred partner agencies and we're you know as of today I don't want to give numbers, but I already gave you some of the stats you know we we were, we're considered to be one of the fastest growing agencies in the country, and I believe that a lot of the reason why is because we have really great entrepreneurial partners, and a lot of our partners are young, they see this as a you know as a long term strategy and uh it's exciting for us so Again, that's the philosophy of us. So when you say, what system do I run? I like to think it's almost uh, meaningless in our world. Um, But what I will say is this, you know, I run a system that works for us or has worked for us from that enables us to not only have our core system of record, because these are really policy administration and accounting packages. Right. And then you wrap around the other tools that help you be more successful as well, whether it be CRM systems, additional reporting, et cetera, et cetera, VoIP systems. Whatever works for you in your world and your agency. Um, but it, you know, it used to be back you know years ago, you wrote one check to one vendor and that answered everything. And then all of a sudden, the world got bigger. Right. right? So you're going to wrap around things. So I do like vend- working with vendors that also have really good integration strategies.
0: There we go. Um,
1: and they've considered
0: that. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A K agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about nationwide brokerage solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. CAS certified. Yeah, Keith, that is huge. That is huge. Um, five years ago, if I was speaking and I asked people to raise my hand their hand and tell me ask tell me what an API is, nobody, right? Today well, I right. asked that eighty well, yeah, but okay, a couple. But today I asked that, I'm gonna say seventy to eighty percent of the people will raise their hand. And they may not know exactly what it is, but they've heard of it and they understand the function of it. And and that is one of the biggest problems that we are having inside of this industry is integration of those things. You said it so well and you brought that to our my brain and back in Ivan's years ago is that this really all it is is a policy management system. And 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 to where's the sales, right? Where's the point of sales? And now we have CRMs and we have these other things but they don't the data doesn't flow. It goes from a napkin into that policy system but yet How's that being utilized on the outside? Any thoughts about that in technology today and maybe where we're going?
1: Well, when I say it's a policy management and accounting package, I don't say that in any sort of a critical way. It's more a matter of once you realize the the core competency, um, then you also have a reasonable expectation of its level of success or your operational strategy, right? So if you take a... um, a system that is going to become your system of record, that data becomes incredibly important. You know, um, I manage a, a system internally for the enterprise that aggregates the data from multiple management systems and provides for an executive dashboard for each one of our partners to better manage their agency. Gotcha. So, but that system is only as good as the system of record. So if you have one agency that has 20 carriers they can download with and they only download six and the rest are manual entry and another one is downloading the full 20, that data that's sitting in that policy administration system is now going to populate other systems. So sometimes we get focused on those other systems and we forget that our originating data is really no different than the water that's upstream. If that water comes downstream and somehow that water is poisoned. It doesn't matter how many bottles of water I put it in. Every single bottle is going to be bad. So wow. if I don't care for my system of record, my policy administration system as a real serious focus, then everything else, my CRM system, voiceover IP pop-ups, you know, report, third-party tools, none of those tools will give you the success. So if you know the full life of data from the point of sale that starts with that pen sometimes, Right or digital customer digital acquisition, whatever it might be, comes through your policy administration system and then feeds into whatever additional accounting practice you might have. We use other accounting tools on top that move that up. That entire path of that data, you need to know what happened to that data along the way. So the challenge is if you don't integrate, then you're exporting and importing. When you export and you import, it's a mapping life. What you're talking about with APIs is the ability to automate that process. Now, not all the vendor systems that have APIs are going to have APIs that reference all the lines of business that we want or to the level that we want that data. So not to bore the hell out of people, but most of the data that I see that gets moved around in the industry is usually the policy header information. It Mm. tends to not go further than that. So I might get my my term, my carrier, etc., but do I actually get the coverage information? Wait, do I actually get the underwriting information? Wait, do I actually get the historical information? Now, the deeper you go, the less and less that data flows. And that's really the challenge, right? And we're going to do better in handling data analytics in our industry and properly targeting our clients when we can get the most amount of quality data from those policy administration systems, because that's where we put our investment.
0: I agree. That makes sense. And I love your upstream water coming down. That makes that makes total sense. Um, that really, truly does. Keith, let me ask you this. From your wise years, maybe uh, somewhere around the top 20 brokers in America, um, you're 30 years old. You've been in the business for two or three years. You've kind of learned it. You know your PNC. You know your stuff. What are you doing? What advice would you give somebody who's out there in today's world, where we're listening to someone like you who has the history of Redshaw, and most agencies, agents listening to this have no clue what that is. My buddy, Not Michael, yeah, my buddy, Michael Blake, uh, he talks about it all the time about Redshaw and him and Frank uh Singer. It was a cult. Huh? It was a
1: cult. Well, Frank and I go way back. So, yeah, it was a cult. And that goes back to the Insurnet and the Insight and the McCracken days and so forth. The 90s of agency automation is really why we are where we are today. And it took the passion of a lot of folks leading together to do that. Um, So to go to your question about the 30-year-old who's in the business today, because I was one of those, Mm -hmm. uh, find the things that you're passionate about and get engaged. So you're not going to do it just by yourself. You're going to do it also with others. So if you've got state trade associations, get engaged in those, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. If you've got user groups for the systems that you're running, get engaged in those. If you've got mastermind groups or leadership groups that you can be involved in, get engaged in those. And, you know, all through life, I could say that I maybe was smart enough to do that, like, automatically. No, like, a lot of that just happened. And when I look back, I realize today, even in my own organization, conversations will come up. And frequently, it's, you know, wait, I know a guy. (laughs) And the reason why you know those guys and gals who can help is because you were engaged in all those groups over the years. So, you know, whether it be, The trade associations or the user groups, you know, I'm a past chair of two different national user groups. One of them was from the 90s with EBICS and and the Delphi days and another one with network of Vertifor users, but I've been involved with the applied group for years and through Augie and working with folks. So there are a lot of groups to be involved. So that would be one of the things that I would tell you. Second is professional development. There's absolutely no replacement for investing in yourself. So that's where you want to be Selfish. You know, if you want to write a particular line of business or get to know about it, it's not going to happen playing video games and hanging out and watching TV. So a lot of late hours, staring at screens, figuring out what it is that you want to do for a living when you grow up. And then the other is um trusting. So when you hire, you have to hire, invest, and trust. So when you start to bring people on board, try to follow decent business models. Um Use Starting point. So if you're a 30 year old and you're just starting off, and I'm not saying this is the perfect scenario, and you're starting to hire a few people, you know, there's a budget tip that I probably posted on a few different groups over the years and something that I learned from others, right? I used to say, create your chart of accounts. Get right next to your chart of accounts, write down an O, a P, and an A, right? Is it operational? Is it payroll? Is it acquisition expense? Right? But at the very, very top, start with how much you want to make. So if you want to make 15% of every Commission dollar that comes in, then you say my net's gonna be fifteen percent. So if I started at fifteen percent, I'd say, okay, well then payrolls twenty-five and operations is twenty and acquisition cost is forty. And now that's your budget. And then you look at that result every single month and you go, Am I hitting my fifteen percent? Because you know, there's an old saying, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. So at least now you created some organization and accountability for yourself for your own profitability. Wow. This occurs in every larger brokerage at some level with different numbers. It's not just about the numbers. It's about the concept and the strategy. If you want to start at 30% in EBITDA, that's fine. But then every other number has to work down to it. Just trying to be more realistic for somebody who's starting out.
0: No, right? I love that. I love that, Keith. That was very, very descriptive. And that's the kind of stuff. That's the mentorship. Um, I think that this industry this industry, gets beat up for not being good with mentorship but I think we get beat up because people don't reach out. I believe there's people like yourself that want to have that mentorship. You talked about number two, the professionalism and investing in yourself. Um, Keith, I I reach out to you because I reach out to you. There's no one, you didn't sit here and said, hey, Jason, I'm a mentor. And let, if you want to talk to me, just give me a phone call. You know, it was, hey, that guy's smart. I need to be more like him. What can I pick up off of him? And uh and that right there was really good, especially with the chart of accounts. I really really like that. That's that's some good shit. That's some good shit. It's
1: you know what? It it adds that level of financial responsibility to a growing business and it turns you from a hobby into a business.
0: Keith, um, I I spoke with a futurist his name's Daniel Burris and uh he is a really great guy, very very smart. And he, I asked him one time I said I said uh Daniel, I said where will we be in 5 to 10 years as insurance professionals? And he says, I don't necessarily know, Jason. He says, but I know that relationships will be the most dominant factor. And he he related it to a lawyer. He said a lawyer could be there fighting somebody in court with four or five paralegals who have searched the world over for all these prior court cases. Or that person could have no paralegals and some kind of AI technology that's read every court case in a matter of two seconds and advising that person. It doesn't mean, just like in the 1990s, that the agent goes away. But it's about how it enhances the the technology around it to make it better. But relationships still will rule the day. Where do you see um, us, our, our industry, in the next 5, 10, 15 years?
1: It's a good question. First of all, I know Daniel, smart guy. Um, there's smart. other great futurists out there that I'll throw out, like David Smith and Michui Keku. So for okay. folks who want to... Of futurists, and I've had the opportunity to work with many of them over the past 25 years. Um, they, at the very least, get you to think. So the first thing that you need to think about is 15 years from now is a much longer time than you think it is, but it's going to be here before you know it. Right? Hopefully. Well said. Um, relationships have historically always been an important factor. What if you go back and you look at the '90s when agents were being disintermediated because everyone was going to buy their insurance online? You had two groups. You had those who said, "Wow, that seems to make sense to me. I need to be prepared for this," and you had those who said, "That'll never happen." And the reality is, both of those groups were actually incorrect. Right? Somewhere in the middle was a hybrid. So there was one group that had actually said, and I always remember this quote: "Insurance agents are dead animals. The only two times you need them is when you buy the policy and when there's a claim." And that was in the late '90s. And looked wow. that one up. And that individual ended up changing their entire business model after they raised a lot of capital and started approaching state associations around the country to partner with them because they were selling leads to independent agents. So they moved from this model. Um, mm-hmm. If you go to the disruption days, uh, many insure techs or fintech companies that came out with the idea of disrupting the independent agency system grew to a certain point and then realized if they wanted to grow any further, they were going to probably need to engage the independent agency channel. Golly. Still the same story right? today,
0: Keith. Same so story. that's
1: 20 years difference between the two. So it's usually an evolutionary process that reinforces the value of the community. And by the way, nothing states that the value of an independent agent is greater than looking at what's occurred over the past, since 2008 or so, with the investment in the insurance industry through very smart money, who have decided, guess what? While it's conservative, it's a really good investment. Mm -hmm. So if you think about all the growth, including our firm, that have grown through investment over time, that would not occur if we weren't a good investment. <laughs> so what I would tell folks is if you're having a bad day and you're thinking maybe insurance isn't what it's all, all that it's cut out to be, look around. We've survived based upon the relationships and the value of it. We were a good investment. But now let me caution you, but don't sit on that. Because if you don't have a digital customer acquisition strategy, you are now frozen in time. And what I can tell you is if I don't change my car for the next 15 years, it's going to look really worn out 15 years from now. So the question is, do you want to keep investing in your business? So if you're investing in the future, you always have to be considering that the different demographics that you want to reach have to be spoken to in a way in which they want to be reached. So if I want to reach a particular demographic just to sell cyber, how do I need to reach that prospect? How do I need to service that prospect? How do I retain that prospect? And chances are there's always going to be some level of relationship in there, right? And that's become, I think, what folks need to focus on. So invest in the technology, but don't do it because it's cool tech. Do it because there's a direct relationship to the business goals that you have. Otherwise, it's just cool, but it doesn't actually make you money.
0: Uh, I heard a guy who's very smart named Bogus Hansel. I'll give a shout out to him. He's out of Chicago. Um, he told me one time, which goes in line with what you're saying now and what you said before: the best and management system is the one that works for your agency. Right? Yeah. It's that simple. There is we there's this big debate out there of the top four or five, you know, which are the whole market share is like eighty percent AMS and Epic in the first place. But we argue about which one is the best, and it's the one that's best for your agency. And I think you've said that a couple of times in different ways. And uh, I have. And I also
1: won't say a bad thing about any management system because mm-hmm. there's customers that that's perfect for. And, you know, this comes up in some of the chat rooms that you and I are involved in. And a good example of that is when, when Augie was created, which was the combination of the user groups. Um, originally, it was the Cord user group information exchange. Now it's the associations and user group information exchange. And I encourage mm-hmm. people to – it's free, by the way, to attend, folks – Um, If you're engaged and you've got a passion about this, you can be involved. Well, you know what? Every leader of every user group walks into that room without a logo on,
0: philosophically,
1: and works together. So do all the carriers and so do all the vendors. So you have all the vendors sitting in the same room at the same time, collaborating together on solving the problems of the industry. So while the salespeople might say, tell one story, the leadership and the development folks are actually collaborating on what the solutions for the insurance industry will be. So if you want to be able to walk into that room and collaborate with people, you better not be smashing them <laughs> the day before. So mm-hmm. I think it comes as a shock to a lot of people that most of those vendors are, are uh, you know, the term was called frenemies, you know, a while ago, right? They have mm-hmm. to be able to work together. And yeah. today, that's, that's even more so than ever before. And Augie's been really successful in helping to make that happen. And that's simply a movement that's gone on for whatever, 21 years or more at this point in time.
0: Well, and I give Ivan's credit for that as well. Bringing us into a room, bringing the vendors uh, into a room and the carriers into a room and discussing with them for one, one day and then bringing us all into a room and saying, hey, okay, it's easy for Jason to blame, hey, this carrier won't do this when you go right across the room and say, okay, carriers, can you do that? And are you willing to do that? And how many times the carriers would be like, yeah, we do that, you know? And so I just think that that was really, really important. Keith, I want to wrap it Another up here. Example. I really, truly do. I want to truly yeah. wrap it up here. Um, any last minute, any things that you want to say regarding anything that we talked about, anything that the loyal listeners maybe, what well, you want them to hear that maybe we didn't talk about?
1: I- I want to go back to the original part about making yourself a servant to the industry. You know, um, you're doing it now on a podcast. I've done it for 30 years in a variety of groups and most of the others do. And, and those who do don't talk about it as often as they should because that would actually inspire others. But that's where the real quandary is. If you spend time being a servant to others, you don't talk about it a lot. And if you do something good for somebody else, and you did it for more you and that, that other person, then, then you're the only two people that would know about it, right? True. And mm-hmm. so if you if you did spend your time bragging about it to others, then you probably did it for all the wrong reasons. True. And and people see through that ultimately. So what I can try to reinforce is to folks is just because you don't hear people bragging about all those vendors sitting in a room with each other like we just did, or or the collaboration between agents on things doesn't mean it's not occurring. And you have to ask yourself if you'd like to be part of that. if you would, then that would be great. I do it in my own organization now by introducing folks constantly, you know, to various leadership so that they can work on things together. And that might be a simple introduction and walk away, or that might be engagement and, you know, and helping to drive something forward. But I really believe that to be truly successful in the insurance industry you're not just successful in your agency; you're actually successful in the
0: industry. Mm-hmm. I love that. Also, loyal listeners, so you know, uh, Keith is a past chair of probably many organizations, but the PIA being a large one. I believe it was two years ago, right? It's the year before COVID. Thank you. yeah, it was the yeah year I was. COVID. I was on the way
1: up during COVID. Yeah, my yeah, uh, that's right. It's 2019,
0: and then yeah, because mm-hmm. you and I spoke, I think, sometime in August or September. Um, at the uh, Tennessee... Right before PIA. it all happened. We were at some of the last conferences. Yeah, yeah I know. It was. It was, it was crazy. Um, I did speak at my first one with the Oklahoma Young Agents uh, last week, which is the first one since. I had like eight canceled because the Delta variant came in in August and September, but Oklahoma kept theirs. Keith, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much for, for being a mentor to me, to helping me. You know that I reach out to you. I have questions for you. I always can't wait to see you. Um, and it's funny, I, could have, I can be blindfolded and I can just feel the energy when you walk in the room because people are just as excited as I, as I to hear your thoughts. Um, and I have nice. to say, one of the also benefits that you get, um, agents out there, loyal listeners, is that um, there's things that can't be said sometimes in a public forum like a podcast. But there's things that can be said one-on-one. Keith, I think there's conversations you and I have had that probably we wouldn't want to let other people know we had those conversations. not because we were bad-mouthing or anything. We were brainstorming about certain vendors or certain agencies or how the industry is. And so that is another thing that I see as important as a reason why um, agents out there need to get involved um, with other people so that you can have those one-on-one conversations. There's only so much we can have loyal listeners in a public forum like this podcast, so Um, Thank you very much, Keith. Keith, got a last couple of questions. You and your boo, I know you probably watch Hulu, maybe spend your time on Amazon Prime. I don't know, maybe get your kicks on Netflix. What are you watching right now that's kind of interesting on TV?
1: Hey, man, I just
0: wrapped up Ted Lasso. So there you go. (laughs) So many people, so many people. Gotta have some humor in that, man. So (laughs) So many people, man, I love it. I love it. I guess when you're dealing in this industry, that is important. Last question, I promise. What's the uh, most recent book you've read? Oh, my favorite book? sitting yeah. right next to me and I pick it up and look at it all the time. Scared cows make the no. best. Oh, sacred, sacred cows make the best burgers.
1: Yes. cows. So, <laughs> and, and I'm serious, it sits next to me because you can if you have bet, you can open it up at any point in time and just read three paragraphs and put it back down again. So yeah, well, uh, yes, I am an avid seconds, reader. In 20 seconds, what's that about? Well, I think the title says it all, which is and his and his other book is if it ain't broke, break it. So yes, while I might be in the business for a while. I absolutely do not rest on my laurels. It's how do we figure out how to do it better every day of the week?
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. I appreciate it, Keith. I really, really, truly do. Thank you very much. And to all you loyal Thanks, listeners Thanks for these
1: podcasts, man. It, it, they're, they're pretty awesome. You know, a lot of podcasts out there right now, and, and many of my friends have them, and it's great. Thanks for having me, and I hope, if anything, um, maybe there's some young insurance professional out there that's thinking about getting involved in a group, do it. And just because you're an OI, which is an old joint insurance professional, um, you know, you can certainly uh, do it as well. No, Not too late to start.
0: Italy. I've never heard that before, Keith. That's good. <laughs>
1: yeah, well.
0: Sorry about that. That's good. I like that, Keith. Hey, to all you loyal listeners, thank you for watching once again. You know what I do because I do it for you. Um, this has been Agents Influence Podcast where it's conversations with Jason Cass and Keith Savino And we are out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it.